that champions diversity. Not all our programs reflect the views of the station. We encourage you to consider a wide range of information from trusted sources when making decisions about your health. It's still overwhelming and what becomes apparent really quickly when you've got your eye on the game day after day is how unsettled the science is. The things that we were told six months ago and then some voices argued or suggested there might be a different interpretation of the data and those voices six months ago may have been shot down as conspiracy theorists and then before you know it, a few months after that, that take on the data becomes actually factual. For example, I'll just give you some examples of that. So in the last probably four to six weeks on social media platforms, all social media platforms, there have been hundreds and hundreds of thousands of women talking about the fact that they've had the COVID-19 vaccine and their menstrual cycles have just become completely deranged. The most painful periods they've ever had or hugely heavy periods. Menopausal, postmenopausal women who haven't menstruated for two or three years suddenly having huge heavy periods again after they've had the vaccine. And so all these women were sharing their stories on social media and the mainstream media and the CDC and the science voices were saying this is absolute bunkum, this is all conspiracy theory, it's bonkers. Well then just a week ago we've actually got mainstream science pages like Medscape and the CDC actually confirming that they don't understand the mechanism but the COVID-19 vaccine is actually causing menstrual problems in women. This is Bruce Lipton, and you're listening to Planet FM. Kia ora, greetings, and welcome to Planet FM 104.6. I'm Tim Lynch, and I trust that you are doing well. I invite you to stay with me over the next hour as we discuss and find ways to take care of our unique and magnificent green planet Earth. On the phone from Whangapara Aoa in Auckland, here in New Zealand, I have Linda Wharton. And she's been in the forefront of holistic therapies here in New Zealand for over 30 years. And she combines both traditional Chinese acupuncture and also she's a naturopath. And I think it's a very good combination. And is a member of the New Zealand Register of Acupuncturists here. And Linda combines the time-tested healing of traditional Chinese acupuncture with naturopathy. So, so I've got Linda on the phone, and so I wish to say, kia ora, Linda. Kia ora, Tim. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you today. Thank you. Linda, I want to cover the basics of how you come into the picture. I mean, I've known you for about 15 years, but we have recently been both looking at the deleterious effects of 5G radiation, and now COVID has invaded both our consciousness and space. So I want to go straight into why you took on the task of collecting data on what is happening, and later on we can talk at the possibilities and what are your concerns. So could you tell listeners what you've been doing about what's happening in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Okay Tim, I'd be delighted to. So maybe if we just backtrack just a wee bit a little bit more into my background, just to say that I've been in clinical practice as sole practitioner in holistic healing for 35 years in New Zealand and during that time I've had a parallel career as a health researcher and writer 
And over the years, I've been a columnist in lots of New Zealand and Australian publications. And I've written three holistic women's health books over the years as well. So I've always had not only the practical hands-on healing side of things, but I've always had a, a parallel huge passion for research, for getting to the bottom of the science, for looking at the science as well, and then translating that into easy speak that everybody can take on board and understand and, and not be blocked by you know, education or lack of science background or anything like that. So that's been my dual passion, those two things. And for about eight years now, I've had a Holistic Women's Health Facebook group. I've loved my place where I pour my passion for communicating, speaking on video and writing. And it's just been a gentle, beautiful little space with women from actually all around the world. And throughout the whole of last year, I was watching with great interest the warp speed development of the COVID-19 vaccine race to seemingly end the COVID-19 pandemic. And right from early on in that process, I started to become somewhat alarmed by the speed of the process and the fact that all four of the leading vaccines that are now being used around the world are novel technology. They're all gene-based technology. And the Pfizer vaccine here in New Zealand, the mRNA vaccine, is a very novel platform it has been previously used, but only in very small groups of cancer patients where the risk-benefit profile has been really different. These are people dying of cancer. Therefore, the known adverse issues with mRNA technology has kind of evened up that risk-benefit profile. So when I realised that New Zealand was predominantly we were going to use the Pfizer mRNA COVID-19 vaccine, I started wondering how our government was going to portray how they were going to message the risk-benefit profile of this vaccine because in that year of researching and watching the development, I had become alarmed by a number of things. And then I started to realise that New Zealanders actually were not going to be given the opportunity by MedSafe and by our government to explore this risk-benefit profile with this novel vaccine. And in fact, we were just being told this is safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. And I quickly became really concerned and a growing sense of, I, I became quite incensed by it actually, by the lack of information that was being given to New Zealanders. And so I decided one day to start another Facebook group. And based on the experience of the eight years with my Holistic Women's Health Group, I thought, oh, you know, I'll just set up this nice little quiet space over here, which gives me a platform to write. It gives me a platform for my voice. I can make some videos. And, you know, some of the posts will get shared and a few New Zealanders will learn what's going on. Well, that's actually not what's happened. <laughs> yes. I set the group up. It's called the Health Forum NZ. The Health Forum NZ. It's a closed Facebook group, so you have to apply to join and you have to answer the admin questions and agree to the rules. And we've been going for, I think, just three, three and a half months. And we're getting sort of between 100 and 200 new members per day. And we're now just short of 9,000 members. We're about 8,900 members when I left this morning. So it's just become this incredibly active, very vocal group where there's very active participants who debate and post their own resources. And yeah, it's, it's almost morphed into a full-time job. I still yes. am in practice in my clinic three days a week, but basically the rest of my life outside of there is researching, writing and hosting this very busy platform. Well, I visited a friend who's part of your group and I was very impressed 
and taking on this data is overwhelming in many ways too, isn't it? Oh, it is overwhelming. Even when you're obsessed with it and you spend like 40 or 50 hours a week researching and reading and watching videos, it's still overwhelming. And what becomes apparent really quickly when you've got your eye on the game day after day is how unsettled the science is. The things that we were told six months ago and then some voices argued or suggested there might be a different interpretation of the data and those voices six months ago may have been shot down as conspiracy theorists and then before you know it, a few months after that, that take on the data becomes actually factual. For example, I'll just give you some examples of that. So in the last probably four to six weeks on social media platforms, all social media platforms, there have been hundreds and hundreds of thousands of women talking about the fact that they've had the COVID-19 vaccine and their menstrual cycles have just become completely deranged. The most painful periods they've ever had or hugely heavy periods. Menopausal, postmenopausal women who haven't menstruated for two or three years suddenly having huge heavy periods again after they've had the vaccine. And so all these women were sharing their stories on social media and the mainstream media and the CDC and the science voices were saying this is absolute bunkum, this is all conspiracy theory, it's bonkers. Well then just a week ago we've actually got mainstream science pages like Medscape and the CDC actually confirming that they don't understand the mechanism but the COVID-19 vaccine is actually causing menstrual problems in women. So that's just one small example of how the voices of the people are often ahead of the science. They're just literally real-life people sharing their stories and being refuted. And then before you know it, one, two, three months later, oh, actually, now we understand the science, and yes, this is actually happening. So the science is unsettled. It's a novel vaccine platform. It was created at warp speed with very short-term two-month trials before it was rolled out into a global population of hundreds of millions or billions of people. So we are the experiment, the collection of data, the safety trials. We are the safety trials and the efficacy trials. They're continuing for another two years and that data is being collected from all around the world. So don't be thinking that this vaccine is just like the measles vaccine that your child had or the meningococcal vaccine that you had or whatever. This is nothing like that because those vaccines often take sort of 10 to 12 years of research and trialling before they're released into a generalised population rollout. This one basically had a sort of a 10 to 12 month development process, two months trial, stage three trial, and then rolled out into the population. So as a result of that, virtually every couple of weeks, new red flags are appearing with the community data red flags of side effects and potential issues that were not detected in the brief two-month phase three trial. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, because what you're doing, you're finding all these discrepancies in the narrative, both for governments and in New Zealand's case from Pfizer too. Could you expand on some of these things that you find uh, incongruent? Well, okay, well, here's one. Here's a, an incongruent one. And I've actually just been working on this the last couple of days. So, when the Pfizer vaccine was launched in New Zealand, the government was quite upfront. In fact, it was virtually the only side effect that they were upfront about or adverse effect that they were totally transparent about sharing with people. And that is the risk of a severe life-threatening anaphylactic reaction, which is like a, a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine that basically shuts down your body systems, causes 
throat swelling and massive blood pressure elevation and cardiac issues. People carry EpiPens. Some people carry EpiPens, like if they're very, very reactive to bee stings. And that's because they can have one of these life-threatening anaphylactic reactions. So the government and Medsafe did announce that this was one of the risks with this vaccine, but that it is an extraordinarily rare side effect, somewhere around one in a million cases. And then in January this year, the CDC came out and they put out a report saying that in America, they're seeing about one case of anaphylaxis in 1.8 million doses administered. So when you hear that, you think, oh, well, you know, that's just a little bit of Russian roulette. That's just bad luck if you're one of the poor people that gets anaphylaxis. But of course, the idea is that you are in a medical setting so that if you do have an anaphylactic shock in that 20 minutes post-vaccine while you're being monitored, then medical help is at hand. So this week, I've actually been looking in a lot more detail at the pharmacovigilance uh, vigilance data in New Zealand, the MedSafe data, where they collate the adverse reactions in New Zealand. And just before I spoke to you, I was actually looking at the incidence of anaphylaxis. And based on the last two lots of data that's been released covering each one of those lots of data covers a one-week period, Based on that, in New Zealand, we're seeing an anaphylactic reaction in about one in every 4,200 people. So to me, that is a massive red flag. Why four months ago were we told that we can expect anaphylaxis of one in a million? And in New Zealand, we're seeing one in 4,100 or 4,200 people. What's going on? I agree. I I don't know, but somebody should be asking the question. That is not a rare side effect when you think of the severity and the fact that it is a potentially life-ending reaction. One in 4,000 people is not a rare side effect. Well, what does MedSafe say in this situation? Because it was, what, 58 questions that Pfizer had to answer and yet none of these have been answered as of today's date. Yeah, well, it's a really, really interesting question because what most New Zealanders don't realise, the languaging in the news media has just kind of softened and softened and changed so that most New Zealanders now think that this is an approved vaccine. It's approved for use in New Zealand. And actually, when MedSafe were going through their approval process, they only gave it a provisional consent approval. It's provisionally consented for use. And it's provisional upon Pfizer answering 58 questions from the New Zealand government or the 58 conditions. And there's a few interesting things about these questions. One is that the time frame for New Zealand receiving the answers to those questions does not expire until the end of July this year, by which time millions of doses of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine will have been administered to the population with these 58 questions outstanding. And the questions are on all sorts of things. So some of them are on the commercial aspect of the deal, but a lot of it relates to things like impurity testing of the vaccine, lipid impurities, because the messenger RNA is wrapped in in a very novel capsule of fats or lipids. And it's actually those fats or one of those fats that that is thought to account for the really, really high rate of anaphylactic reaction with this particular vaccine. So there's questions about the purity of that. 
And I think we would really like to know the answers to those questions considering we're having such a high incidence of anaphylaxis with this vaccine in New Zealand. I really want to know. I would love to see the purity testing of those lipids. Then we've also got questions about potential contaminants in the vaccine, DNA contaminants, and also questions about the possibility of this vaccine enhancing autoimmune disease or triggering autoimmune disease. And that actually is one of the potentially massive unanswered questions with this vaccine that many leading scientists and health practitioners around the world are now coming out and asking these questions. And then also there's a question about something called antibody-dependent enhancement, which is a condition that has been seen with the previous attempts at making coronavirus vaccines. This was sort of 10 years or more with the MERS. It was either the MERS or the SARS coronavirus outbreak. And back then they actually stopped trying to make a vaccine because they found that the animals in the animal studies, they did well with the vaccine, they mounted a great antibody response, but then once the animals were challenged by being exposed to the actual virus, almost 100% of them mounted this insane immune response where their whole immune system just completely overreacted and triggered something called a cytokine storm where basically the body just turns on itself and you go into massive organ failure. So this is what happened to the animals in the previous studies. And so this is actually a genuine concern with this vaccine. So the Pfizer vaccine has been consented, provisionally consented for use in New Zealand with all of these questions outstanding. And the other perturbing fact of that is that when Pfizer do answer these questions, all of the answers are deemed commercially sensitive and confidential. So New Zealanders, as just the people rolling up their sleeves, we will have no idea how these questions are answered. I hear you very clearly. This is, it just hasn't been in the mainstream news. It's, I know, it's never, it's never. You see, I mean, I had an interview with Catherine Smith a few weeks ago. Right. And she said that the government says that this vaccine is okay for pregnant women. Yeah, and that just alarms me so much because I keep up to date with the adverse reaction databases, the main ones being MedSafe, the New Zealand one, which I'll come back to because I do have some things to say about that, but also what's called VARS, which is the American Adverse Reaction Monitoring, and something called VigiAccess, which is a compilation of many of the European nations as well. And now there are cumulatively well over a thousand reports of stillbirth, late stage pregnancy carriage and lots of early stage pregnancy miscarriages as well in women post-COVID vaccine. And this is just one of those cases. I think what New Zealanders need to realise is that if you are living here in New Zealand and you are a pregnant woman, based on the fact that there is no significant long-term safety data on the use of this vaccine during pregnancy. No safety data for the actual pregnant woman during the pregnancy, but then also for the ongoing health of the offspring that result from that pregnancy. So here in New Zealand, we're in a blessed and privileged position where we have no or virtually zero or no wild spreading COVID in the population. And I just really encourage my clients 
to realise that pregnancy is a self-limiting condition. It's a condition that's only going to last for 40 weeks. Yes. Um, <laughs> after which you're not pregnant, and at which point, if you decide that the risk-benefit profile deems it appropriate for you, you can choose to have the COVID-19 vaccine. Because in these months, if you're pregnant right now, the chances of you contracting COVID, unless potentially you're working in MIQ on the front line, maybe that's a completely different risk-benefit profile. That's something people need to discuss with their GPs case by case. But for the average woman just living in New Zealand, right now, based on the research I've done, I would dare to suggest that your risk of having the vaccine during pregnancy outweighs any potential benefits you're going to have given that we have no wild COVID circulating in our community. And given that sometime in the next one, two, three, up to nine months, you're going to actually have your baby and then you can reassess your risk-benefit profile. Yes, thank you for that. Because there's no insurance and there's no recourse to compensation if anything goes wrong too. And the government really has allowed Pfizer to call the shots. Oh, totally. Around the world, every government has just become the handmaiden to Pfizer. Pfizer calls the shots big time. And you say there's no recourse. There's no commercial recourse. Like, we can't sue Pfizer if a family member of yours dies after the vaccine or permanently disabled. You can't sue Pfizer. But in New Zealand, in theory, you can apply to ACC for some kind of financial... Accident Compensation Commission. Recompense. But I have grave concerns about that system, having looked at the number of um, vaccine application cases in the last 10 or 15 years and the tiny number that have actually been acknowledged and paid out. I think there's about 20 cases out of several hundred. So I think your chance of, number one, having your adverse reaction acknowledged as a vaccine reaction and number two actually getting financial compensation from ACC your chances of both worrying let's put it that way yes thank you today in America America's frontline doctors have filed a petition to temporarily restrain the U.S. Secretary and the U.S. Department of Health from actually administering any more vaccines because, sadly, millions of parents are being misled and what they're saying now is that because it's not been fully tested and approved that the COVID-19 vaccine side effects, they've never seen this level of side effects for any vaccine without the FDA taking action, the Federal Drug Administration. So... The rotavirus vaccine was cancelled for 15 cases of non-lethal side effects and yep. and the swine flu vaccine was cancelled for 25 deaths. But now, by the CDC's own data, we are seeing a 12,000% increase in deaths with these vaccines and they're still promoting this to our children and people. Absolutely. You're spot on. And I've got some things written in front of me here because I can't keep it all in my mind. But just before I came on, I actually had a wee look at the latest FARS data, which is the American Adverse Reaction Database. I looked at the COVID-19 reactions. Now, remember when I read these numbers out that, that it is stated by the CDC in a Harvard study of about 12 years ago in America that the reporting of injury and adverse reactions to the VARS database is terribly, terribly low. So they're talking about, on average, a 1% reporting of actual injury. So bear that in mind when I tell you that they have now received 862,000 reports of adverse events with 5,900 deaths. So multiply that by potentially 
100 if you believe that the reporting is yes. 1%. Multiply that by potentially 10 times if you're being generous and you think the reporting is 10%. Anyway, the point is that those numbers, they're vast and they're chronically underreporting what is most likely actually happening. I do just have to put a little proviso there, say that the VARS database, like the New Zealand MedSafe database, is one where anybody can report. So that's really worth our listeners knowing um, here in New Zealand. You do not need a hospital to report your adverse reaction. You do not need your doctor to report it. You literally jump online and you can self-report to the New Zealand Pharmacovigilance. And I wonder if, is it possible, Tim, when this goes to air, I wonder if it's possible to actually have the links to that posted with the replay? Certainly. Just going back to what I was saying, in the small print with the VARS database, it does say because anybody can make a report to VARS that um, you have to look at those with a pinch of salt, knowing that possibly some of those reports are inaccurate. And the deaths, they are deaths that are reported temporally related to the vaccine. So they're reported, they're unexpected sudden deaths that occur in the 24, 48 hours post-vaccine or maybe up to one to two weeks post-vaccine. So I'm not able to tell you that every single one of those deaths was actually 100% caused by the vaccine. So there's the proviso. But even having said that, as you pointed out, the number of deaths and injuries that are being reported per head of population compared to every other vaccine that's ever been used in America, they're astronomically many times higher. That's right, because the American frontline doctors said anyone under the age of 20, the survivability rate of COVID-19 is 99.997%. More than well over 4,000 deaths have been tied to the administering of COVID-19 vaccines in the last four months as opposed to 1,500 total in the previous 10 years for all vaccines. And I presume that's in America. Yeah, that's right. And there's a Canadian doctor, Jessica Rose, who has just completed a review study, which is actually about to be reported. I'm not quite sure which medical journal it's going into. I'm sorry. Her name's Dr. Jessica Rose. You can find her online. And she's just spent months looking in great detail, doing huge amounts of analysis on the VARS database with the injuries and the deaths. And um, some of the key points that she's come out with is, as I said, the massive under-reporting of injury and death. The massive backlog of data which has not been posted, millions and millions and millions of administered vaccine doses in America have not then had the adverse reaction safety data processed and posted onto the public facing database for people to see. So this again is not, the figures that we're saying are not truly representative of the rate of injury and death because there's millions of doses of data completely missing, processed, not yet posted. And we actually have exactly the same thing. If you can remind me to come back to it, Tim, but we have exactly the same scenario happening in New Zealand, so I'll talk about that next. But anyway, Dr Jessica Rose, she is talking about the fact that VARS is recording between 350 and 500 new temporally related vaccine deaths in America every week. And there is now a huge red flag showing up for menstrual dysregulation which is what I talked about earlier you know right up until now the mainstream narrative has been that anybody that talked about that that was some kind of quacky bonkers conspiracy theorist and that is showing really really strongly in the VARS adverse reactions 
And you might think, oh, well, periods, so what? You know, women have periods, but so what if you bleed a bit more or you skip a period or two or, you know, you start bleeding when you haven't bled for three years then you're postmenopausal? Well, just track back from that and think, well, periods are about making babies. Yes. You know, how, how a woman with a healthy menstrual cycle is how we get the next generation. So if we're seeing these immediate, acute disruptions to women's periods, what are the implications short-term and long-term about the fertility of those women? So it's not just, oh, and by the way, periods are messed up. It's potentially a huge issue. I hear you very clearly, and I've been a follower of Dr Christine Northrup for over 10 years. She was classified as one of the top doctors in America. She was on opera show and now all of a sudden because she's come through and said look I'm questioning everything she is now seen to be the enemy of Big Pharma (laughs) He's considered to be bonkers now that's right and the the truth is Tim that and again I hadn't realised it's a bit of a babe in the woods in this whole area of novel medical technology but I hadn't realised that in putting my you know, and walking my talk and actually not hesitating to share these facts with New Zealanders, I myself have put myself in the firing line for being classified as, you know, a conspiracy theorist and a, and a nut job. And you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't perturb me one iota because I have the most profound sense of, of my own integrity. Yes, profound sense in the research the quality of the research I'm doing and knowing that it is not just me speaking up but here in New Zealand and globally we have some really really respected science-based voice doctors speaking up and saying hey we need to stop this you know where this is an unprecedented medical experiment and the last time that we saw something like this with a vaccine was in the in the 1970s with Swine flu vaccine, which you mentioned, you know, was pulled. But I think, I don't remember, was it 25 deaths they had with that vaccine? A very small number, yeah, around yeah, that. 20, 25 deaths, and so they pulled it quickly. But in the meantime, what they hadn't realised and what came to light gradually over the, the months and years after that vaccine was that over 700 people and many young people that were vaccinated with the swine flu vaccine developed narcolepsy, which is a lifelong, devastating health problem where you literally just can't stay awake. You just collapse to the floor fast asleep multiple times a day. It's the end of your life. It's, it's not worth living. And that was a warp speed designed and administered vaccine as well. And there are still over 700 people living with the repercussions of that. Yes, I know that there's Dr. Sherry Tenpenny and also Dr. Simone Gold. So what I do is I'm encouraging all people in New Zealand, particularly mums because they're more with their children during the day, to use other systems of being able to check. Search through BitChute or BitChute.com, Brighton.com, Rumble.com and go outside Google. Google, I've been mentioning for long time now. Google's not our friend. It is part of the big tech companies and the tech companies are controlling everything that we see or hear on computers now and so we cannot 
We, we cannot well, it, depend it, on it them. Is. It's censored information. So don't go to Google looking for the kind of things that I'm talking about. What I actually suggest to people who think that this is crazy is go on to some of those alternative platforms, even TikTok, Telegram, yes. Bitchute, and join some of the vaccine injury groups, the COVID-19 vaccine injury groups. There are literally hundreds of groups all around the world. Join those groups and start reading the posts from people whose lives have been changed by the vaccine. Get away from the science journals. Go to grassroots level to begin your research and just have a look at what people's stories are and then that will alert you to the fact that something is happening and from there you can start then questioning and thinking well how do I how do I balance up this contradiction of all of the media platforms in New Zealand and Medsafe and the government saying safe and effective safe and effective safe and effective but now I've been on these alternative social media sites and I've read thousands and thousands. I've read tens of thousands of reports, horrendous injuries. How do I weigh those two things up? And that is enough to start people hopefully questioning and thinking about their individual risk-benefit profile with this vaccine. Yeah, thank you very much for this, Linda. I'm speaking with Linda Wharton. She's an alternative healer naturopath and acupuncturist and as you can understand and as you can hear she has done a lot of research really important for us her facebook group is growing well woman growing well woman i turned off my tv sometime about mm. I, I don't know, 30 years ago <laughs> Good be- on you, Tim. because i knew and it's not as if i'm unknowing it's not as if i don't know what's happening at a very localized level or on a global basis but the whole thing is that we're here in new zealand i mean once upon a time i used to always look forward to watching the six o'clock news on tv because it informed me now it doesn't and and so it's a very strange situation to be in because i heard the other day somebody say that we are not being governed anymore in our country that we are being ruled and that sort of well that had a nail in the <laughs> firmly and, and this is a great pity because it's our elected servants who are supposed to be relaying to us all the information from a broad spectrum, but it seems to be only coming down from the corporate arena and big pharma and other governments who seem to be caught up in the same hypnosis that's global, and that is to dictate a policy where they really want mandatory vaccines for every single human being, and they're just slowly scaling it down to the younger ones, and it's a huge, huge... Uh, I, I have massive concerns about this gradually being moved along the line from mandatory for only frontline workers to, you know, man- mandatory for another group and another group and then mandatory across New Zealand and then tied in with that vaccine passports. And people say, oh, you know, no, that's, that's conspiracy theory. Well, we've just got to look around the world. I mean, Biden came out this week and basically said... Anybody who has not had the vaccine needs to know that your life will not open up again until you have it. You will not be taking your mask off until you have it. Israel has... Israel of all countries. Correct, yes. Like, can you imagine Israel, you know, Jews, after everything that happened to them, you know, all those years ago, 
and the yellow stars and now they have actually got medical apartheid. They've got a green passport system in Israel where you basically can't lead your life unless you're vaccinated. And they have massive, massive database of injury there. I belong to a couple of Israeli adverse reaction groups and it's just it's just heartrending. And they've been talking about they led the charge that they they've used solely Pfizer and they're one of the most vaccinated countries in the world now with the Pfizer vaccine. And these reaction groups I belong to, for months I've been seeing case after case after case of mothers posting about their children, their teens, being hospitalised with acute heart inflammation. It's called myocarditis, and it's a very serious inflammation of the heart muscle. And I've been waiting, thinking, well, why am I reading all these reports in Israel and there's nothing in the media about this? Well, just this week, in fact, just yesterday for the first time, I see the CDC is now acknowledging that young people are being hospitalised with heart inflammation in America and they're trying to work out what the connection is with the vaccine. Yes. <laughs> it's astounding. I'm really astounded. It reminds me of Pulitzer Prize-winning author and journalist Chris, Christopher Hitchens, who made this profound statement some years ago. He said, We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, Lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, and religion destroys morals, and finally, and our banks destroy the economy. Oh my gosh, that's profound and devastating and, and spot on. <laughs> I haven't heard that before, I haven't heard that quote, but wow, what a perceptive quote. It is, and he worked for New York Times before he realised that they were just an arm of the corporate agenda to want to control people, so he walked from them too. But this is what we're dealing with. There are not enough courageous people globally, and especially here in New Zealand. We had the 40 doctors very recently who came out and told the New Zealand government, we don't like what you're doing, this is out of alignment, this is not of the Hippocratic Oath, which says... First, do no harm. This is morally not correct. So this is happening everywhere, isn't it? And those 40 doctors, boy, have they been done over by the media. And you have to remember, of course, that when our Labour government got back in, I'm not sure how much it was. I've read varying amounts, but the the government actually paid the media in New Zealand, distributed through the media vast sum of money. I think it was... 15 million or 25 million 50, New Zealand dollars? It was 50 million. 50, 5-0. 5-0. Five, five zero. Five so, zero. so, yes, they didn't offer anything to GreenPanetFM.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tim, I'm sorry. That's okay. I still have to clean toilets, believe it or not, for my job, oh. keep this whole radio program going. We so appreciate it. You've done such an amazing job all these years. <laughs> I just... I just would like to, I know we're, the time is kind of coming, drawing to a close, but I'd just love to share with listeners a little bit about the adverse reaction reporting in New Zealand. Thank you. If that's okay. So yes. I'll read out the web address for people to be able to self-report, and then we'll also post it when, when you post this interview. It's www.nzphvc.otago.com ac.nz slash reporting slash all lowercase. It's www.nzphvc.otago.ac.nz 
ac.nz slash reporting slash all lowercase. And anybody can make that report. So if you have a vaccine and you have any kind of adverse reaction to it, ranging from an extremely sore arm, pain in the arm, flu-like symptoms that last you know, anywhere from two to seven days, right up through the more serious things that we're seeing globally and in New Zealand, such as blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, brain bleeds, uh, neurological disorders, paralysis, sudden unexpected death in the two to three weeks post-vaccine. All of these things need to be reported to our database here in New Zealand for a number of reasons. One, because as I said before, this is still an experimental, novel medical intervention and we are still collecting safety and efficacy data for the next two years. So your reaction is an important part of that data collection to inform safety profile for other people coming after you who may have been the vaccine. And the other reason it's so vital that you report your reactions is because while it's an immediate reaction or seemingly a short-term reaction, you do not know if it will turn into something else in the medium to long term. And if you have not reported that reaction, you have zero chance of any kind of financial support or recompense or acknowledgement that it actually was a vaccine injury by our ACC system. So it's really vital that you report them. It's imperative, and I thank you very yeah. much. And, uh, and I had a good look at the MedSafe safety data yesterday, and MedSafe trumpeted yesterday, uh, you know, the great news that we've actually administered 500,000 vaccine doses now, Pfizer vaccine doses in New Zealand. And so I had a look at the safety data, and, and they've only actually loaded on the public-facing data face, they've only loaded the adverse reaction data for 168,000 vaccines. Interesting. So we, so we have about 330,000 administered doses with zero safety data for New Zealanders to look at. This is astonishing for New Zealanders, really. I mean, we're, we were supposed to be the moral compass for this whole planet. We were supposed to be the emerging microcosm for the planetary macrocosm for a society that was evenly placed to allow even the, the people who were at the bottom of the socio-economic situation to be able to grow together so that we could have a, a country that was healthy and vital and we were creative. And now we're finding ourselves in a totally different situation where we're really struggling. I mean, just quickly, after the Second World War, the British classified New Zealanders who were fighting in the war, they described the men as long, lean and ranging. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How would you describe? There's a few Kiwi blokes around that don't quite fit that description right now. That's right. So this is a big challenge because I'm wanting people to be curious. I'm wanting them to question everything. I want children to always wonder for their whole life. I wonder and I'm curious every day. And here's one. I've heard of a story about shedding. I had a situation where a week ago a friend rang me up and said, Tim, Tim, oh, I'm glad to speak to you. He said, oh, gosh, last night I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. I, 
I was in so much pain throughout my whole body. I couldn't lift my arms. I couldn't. I was headaches. I had everything happening to me, and I didn't want my child to come in and see me dead in bed. And he said. Then I found out that the day before I had been to a function and I'd sat beside a person who had just had the proverbial jab. And anyway, he told me that after he recovered enough to get to a telephone, he mentioned it to his doctor. And the doctor listened to him carefully and said, guess what? That happened to me a week ago. I just went down with this sickness that I thought I was going to die. And they're calling it shedding. Anyway, this doctor is too frightened, naturally, to mention anything about this to the authorities because he doesn't want to be deregistered or classified as a nutter. Can you shed a, shed a little bit of light on this? Th- some information on shedding? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, Tim, good on you for bringing it up. I wasn't going to bring it up, but seeing as you have, let's talk about it. So, earlier in our chat, I mentioned about this phenomenon that I've observed where I call them the early adopters of truth. People at ground level, the grassroots level, start talking about a phenomenon. So I talked about vaccinated women talking about menstrual dysregulation and they were just put in the completely wacko, bonkers category. And now, you know, the medical channels and the CDC are saying, well, actually, it turns out that COVID vaccines stuff up your menstrual cycle, or can do. So... Right now, this whole inverted commas shedding thing is exactly the same phenomenon. So on social media, people are sharing hundreds of thousands of stories, just like those ones you have just shared about being healthy, normal people, go and spend a day with a vaccinated friend, and then catastrophic things happen to them, to the unvaccinated person. And... I am still sitting on the fence with this because I really like to understand the biological mechanism for this, but I am definitely open-minded. And about six weeks ago, I put a post in my group when social media groups were first starting to talk about this phenomenon of seeming transmission or shedding. I put a post up asking this question of group members, has anybody had this experience? And I was deluged with answers so many of the people in my group are people who work on the front line MIQ or I've got lots of medical people working in hospitals and doctor surgeries and dentists and all of those sorts of things in the group and so a lot of people in the group have a situation where they're working with the vaccinated but they themselves have elected not to have the vaccine and the thread itself, I think last time I looked was up to, to about 436 comments. Not all of them people saying, this is my story, but you know, discussion around dozens and dozens of people sharing their story. And then a lot of women private messaged me as well. And the main things that came through, and I do not understand, I cannot confirm the biological plausibility of this. As I say, I'm remaining open-minded and just sitting on the fence and watching right now. But I do believe that in the weeks to come that this mechanism will potentially become a lot clearer. And what's happening is many women who are unvaccinated reporting immediately menstrual dysregulation when they've been with the vaccinated. So, you know, women who weren't due to have their period but spent the day with a vaccinated friend, 
waking up in the middle of the night, flooding and hemorrhaging with the heaviest periods they've ever had in their lives, pain. I've had two group members who both had a vaccinated friend come to stay with them. They themselves were unvaccinated and these two women both woke up with Bell's palsy the next day, which is facial paralysis, which is an acknowledged adverse reaction to a COVID-19 vaccine. So somehow some process potentially happened where the unvaccinated women, having hung out with the vaccinated friends, woke up with Bell's palsy. This week I received a message from a woman whose niece uh, works in a pharmacy and this girl didn't have the vaccine and is working with vaccinated people and for the first time in her life she's developed absolutely hemorrhagic nosebleeds. She's, when the woman emailed me she'd had a nosebleed eight days in a row and she'd never had a previous nosebleed. So this question of what's happening, are the vaccinated affecting the unvaccinated in some way? I can't answer that question. I can only look at all the empirical stories that have been shared with me personally in my group. Thank you. Yes, there's so much, Linda. I'm astounded. There's a piece called Off Guardian, off-guardian.org. And yep. it, it talks about how the CDC is manipulating data to prop up vaccine effectiveness. So there's a lot of distortions coming from the system further up. And from what I gather, they're very, very concerned that the people are waking up, that ordinary people are realising that they have been forced to take a vaccine that is untested and that is a concoction that we don't know anything about and we don't know how our body is reacting and this is the situation. Yeah, um, and it's interesting you talk about that, you know, with the CDC because there have been revelations, you know, wave after wave of revelations through the whole COVID pandemic, not just the CDC but the British government and WHO, all sorts of authorities like that. There have been anomalies in case descriptions and anomalies with death counts and all sorts of strange things. So one of the things that's happening right now with the CDC is... We're now starting to see what are called breakthrough cases of COVID. So this is in people who have received both of the vaccines, you know, the two doses, for example, of the Pfizer vaccine, um, and they've got past that two-week post-vaccine period. So in theory, their immune system is doing its thing and they're now, quote, immune to COVID. And yet more and more people are testing positive, are developing COVID and testing positive. So these are called breakthrough cases And what's happened just in the last couple of weeks in America is the CDC have uh, just sort of made this pronouncement that the, the way that they are going to classify and measure these breakthrough cases is changing in a profound way. That means that they will count fewer and fewer breakthrough cases. So what they're doing that in two main ways. One is the PCR test, which is the way that the main way that COVID-19 diagnosis is done is you have a PCR test and these PCR tests, they go through a process of amplification. They go through cycles or amplification and there's been so much controversy about the PCR test and how inappropriate it is to actually diagnose COVID-19 and the vast number of, you know, the millions and millions around the world number of false positive 
diagnoses, so the PCR test saying that you have COVID-19 when actually you don't. So just in the last couple of weeks, the CDC have announced that for people who have been vaccinated, they're dropping the number of cycles that the PCR test will be put through. So what this means is that currently they're cycling at around 40 cycles in New Zealand and at 40 cycles, in theory, that has the potential to give a lot of false positive results and they're also using those high levels in America as well. So just for people that have been vaccinated, they're dropping the number of cycles down to 28. This is a CDC pronouncement. And what that will do is it will pick up fewer and fewer and fewer cases of COVID-19 in vaccinated people. So in other words, it's a way of... Shifting the goalposts. If you were cynical, one would say it's a way of hiding the breakthrough cases And at the same time as doing that, they've also changed the criteria for what they will consider a breakthrough case. So up until now, if you've tested positive with the PCR test, even though you've had the vaccines, you've been considered a breakthrough case. Now they're only going to look at people who test positive on this much tighter goalpost, the 28 cycles. So it's much harder to find the COVID in the first place. So if you test positive but you're seriously ill and you end up in hospital or you die, then you're going to be considered a breakthrough case. So what that means is it's going to be potentially hundreds of thousands or millions of people who actually do get COVID-19 after the vaccine and they're not going to be counted with this new criteria. Thank you for this, yes, because in finishing, there's a, if we look bit-chut, bit-chut, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E, there's a thing from Greg Reese, R-E-E-S-E, of InfoWars, and it's about Dr. Carrie Mullis, K-A-R-Y-M-U-L-L-I-S. He received a Nobel Prize for actually making the PCR test equipment, and he said that the PCR is a method of analysis, and it wasn't designed to test for a virus. And he says there that there's so many distortions here. He is going out for Mr. Fauci. He thinks that Mr. Fauci is very corrupt and the, the profound thing was he's been chasing him all the time and he died conveniently on August, in August 2019, saying that he wanted to make sure that Dr. Fauci had his day in court. But mysteriously, he died just before COVID came out. So th- yeah. there's... Uh, there's so much. I want to say thank you so much, Linda. This has been superb. There's a lot of information. I'm wanting mums and dads across New Zealand. I want the people who've got a heart, who really care, because when it's all said and done, there's nearly five million souls in New Zealand, and we want to take care of them because we have a life, everybody has a life to want to fulfill and grow into the light of their own true selves. And So thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Tim. And if I could just have one, just one little closing word. First of all, a warm welcome to your listeners to join me in my closed Facebook group, which is called the Health Forum NZ. We're a very respectful and kind community. I work really hard to build that culture there because the vaccine discussion space can be a fairly rabid space, but not in my group. And the other thing is just remember that we are all born with the most incredible natural 
armory against infection and its consequences, and that is our immune system. And it's the immune system is not found at the end of a needle. It is cultivated through right living, through exercise, sleep, meditation, great nutrition, love, connection, a sense of purpose. All of these things have been scientifically proven to strengthen our immunity. So don't just put all your eggs in one basket. Whether you have the vaccine or not, remember you have an immune system and make right living choices to support your innate immunity. I agree 100%. Thank you, thank you, Linda. Thank oh, you're you. so welcome, Tim. That was an amazing experience. Thank you. Okay, well, very good. Well, thank All good. You. Oh, thanks so much, Tim. It was lovely talking to you as always. Excellent. Well, love to you and Craig and, you too, Tim. and the family. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Linda Wharton, a naturopath and acupuncturist from here, Auckland and New Zealand. Don't forget to combine with voicesforfreedom.co.nz, voicesforfreedom.co.nz, and don't be concerned. Big Tech has put a warning, potential security risk ahead. This is not true. Voices have 11,000 members and growing fast. Yes, dear people, if you go to bitchute, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E dot com and look for Greg Reese, G-R-E-G-R-E-E-S-E, he does some short videos, very, very powerful, bang, bang, bang. He's really getting the message across because what we are engaged in at this particular time, we are in a hybrid war. It's a multidimensional battle generated by less than the 1%. These are from the World Economic Forum. They are engaged in wanting to put the Great Reset in place without any consultation with you or with me or our family, our neighbours and our community. This is a grab for your sovereignty. We've got to wake up and it is also a spiritual war, sadly. We have to realise that this is the most important time to be on earth today. To be distracted in minute and stuff and more stuff and indulgences. But really, everybody in the biosphere, we're all sharing the same breath. We are so incredibly connected. And guess what? It's the invisible that's keeping us alive. We can't even see what's keeping us alive. But it is our breath. And this breath comes from a shared, unseen reciprocity we breathe out and the plankton and trees and grasslands breathe in they take in our carbon dioxide and they freely give us oxygen so we have to be able to breathe in this oxygen to feed our inner candle to make it blaze continuously for all of us final statement what i want to say after this i really want you to take on board I've been saying it for year after year after year. If we want change to happen that is going to be optimistic and positive and good for us, for our friends, family, children of today and tomorrow, all biota, our planet, then take heart and network. Decide to network. Use every letter you write, every conversation you have. Every meeting you attend, every email you send. And remember, even Facebook. To tweet 
and to express your fundamental beliefs and dreams. Affirm to others the vision of the world you want. Network through thought. Network through action. Network through love. Network through the spirit. You are the center of a network. You are the center of the world. You are a free, immensely powerful source of life and goodness. Affirm it. Spread it. Radiate it. Think day and night about it, and you will see a miracle happen. The greatness of your own life in a world of big powers, media and monopolies. But of 7.8 billion individuals, networking is the new freedom, the new democracy, a new transparency, and a new form of wholeness and happiness. This originated by Dr. Robert Muller, Chancellor of the World Peace University in Costa Rica, Central America. I invite you to be able to come to greenplanetfm.com where we have over 500 interviews in our database which you can readily download and listen to to be able to inspire yourself to become the change you want to see in the world and become involved in caring for your children and grandchildren's future. We are also on Facebook on Green Planet FM. You can make